Hello, hello, and welcome to another exciting episode of Skeptics and Seekers Sunday Sermon. This is 4S. I'm David Johnson. Let's get started. As you can see, we have got on deck a lecture from the one and only William Stay in His Lane, Craig. He does not stay in his lane, and that's why we have so much to say about Dr. Craig. But uh, when I was searching the video for the, uh, the internet uh, for things about the senses divinitatis and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, Dr. Craig actually has what I think is the, the best presentation on this. Now, last time we did Census Divinitatis Part 1, and we dealt with David Russell and Travis and the other guy whose name I have forgotten— I have had some communication with Travis, so if you saw that show, uh, just note Travis also saw the show. He did not appreciate the things I had to say, <laughs> and uh, we had a little bit of a public tete-a-tete -tete on YouTube. Did you know that there was a Skeptics and Seekers YouTube channel? Yes, there is. You can see that and the comments, uh, the conversation that that ensued from that. However, I don't want to leave it at that because we eventually hugged it out. All right? It's a weird thing to do over the internet, but we did it. Travis is actually a, a pretty cool guy. I, I really enjoyed uh, interacting with him. Uh, we, we took it uh, offline, which is also a weird thing to say about email communication because it's online. Uh, we took it offline and... Um, We've, we've had some very productive talks, and even though I might be speaking out of turn here, what's new, people, I'm just going to put it out there uh, into the world. It hasn't been finalized yet. Skeptics and Seekers Sunday Sermon for us Season 2 should open with a conversation with Travis and myself. So, really looking forward to that. Uh, so, that's, that's going to be a, a very good outcome out of this series on the census divinitatis and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. But before we get to that conversation with Travis, that hasn't happened yet and probably will not happen until February because I will be, I've decided, I will be taking January off uh, for, for S. That's kind of how it started um, this year, and that's how it's probably going to start every year that I do it. We'll start in February. Before we get to that, we've got to go through Dr. William Lane Craig. And Dr. William Lane Craig is a very big bite. He's too big of a bite for just one person to deal with. And so we have some people in the pew to share the task. To my internet right, we have the returning Darren, the demonstrator. Say hello, Darren. Hello, Darren. Okay, and uh, Darren, the demonstrator. Now that I think about it, it sounds like a flasher. 
Um, uh, you know, the shoe fits. <laughs> you know, I, I really don't. <clears throat> I haven't put a lot of thought into this. Uh, to my internet left, we have the one and only super fan, Clark Kent. Hi there. Nice to be here. Clark, how you doing? So, uh, who is Clark Kent? Clark Kent can be regularly seen on the boards at Red Letters. You know Red Letters. That's my other project. Um, that's where we talk about all things Jesus. You can even pick up a free book there that I wrote. Yes, if you like my writing, I think you're going to love this book. Best damn book ever written, in my opinion. I seem to be the only one who has that opinion, but it really is great. Now to get in there, um, we do a show every week when Red Letters is going uh, on, usually more than one show. It's a dollar a week. Uh, so you pay for you know one show. Any other shows I do are just bonus. And I can't stop myself from doing shows. So there you have it. Uh, you can uh, you can get in. Uh, it's patreon.com slash red letters, patreon.com slash red letters. Uh, get over there. Check it out. Uh, you will not actually even begin paying that dollar a week until I do shows. And if there's a week that goes by where I don't do a show, you don't pay. So it's kind of like that. Really easy. Uh, jump in there. Uh Listen to the entire first season if you want to. Decide that you hate it and then get out and it won't cost you anything. So go on over and check it out. Uh, Patreon.com slash red letters. Gentlemen, uh, we have a task ahead of us. Uh, we are going to deal with the indwelling. Excuse me. We're going to deal with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And um, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna do this. I think in the most appropriate way that I can think of. We're going to let uh, Dr. Craig speak for you know longer segments of time, you know, so that we can get the full thought out. And then we will pause, and then we will talk about what we've heard. Now, folks, that's possible for us to do because uh, this lecture from Dr. Craig. Uh, there's a full transcript of it. It's pretty accurate. Uh, you can get it from his website. If I remember to do so, I will link it uh, in the show notes so you can read the full transcripts. And then I've already taken notes in a Google Docs. So, you know, I know exactly what I want to say from uh, piece to piece. And so we're just going to let it play out for longer segments than you're used to hearing on this show. And then we're going to go back and uh, discuss the segment that we heard. So we're going to, we're going to, get through this. There will be a post-show and after-show. <laughs> we'll talk about that later. And uh, there will also be an after-show. After this is going to be a day of shows for me. I want you guys to have plenty to listen to. I know that as a podcast listener, one of the frustrating things for me, especially during this long kind of holiday break, is that my favorite shows, they take a break because the hosts have lives. And they don't do shows in advance to, you know, so that their listeners can have something to listen to, or they do clip shows, which I hate because I've listened to the show. I've heard all the clips. So I'm going to be doing some shows so that you have, you know, at least something to listen to during this uh, time of vacation. If you're like me and you're not spending a bunch of time with family and you're not spending a bunch of time with festivities. 
So, with that said, I have asked my guests to mute their microphones when they're not speaking. And I find that more distracting than just the background noise. So I'm going to ask my guests to unmute your microphones <laughs> because that's, that's how we're going to do it. If there, anything truly obnoxious happens during um, the process of this recording, I will deal with it in post or not. Uh, but for now, let's do this thing. You ready? All right. Ready. Last time we began an excursus in natural theology, or arguments for the existence of God. And the first topic that we wanted to undertake is the proper basicality of belief in God. This is not an argument for God's existence, rather it's the claim that you can know that God exists, have a personally per perfectly rational belief in God, without any sort of arguments for God's existence. And if you need an outline, uh, just hold your hand up and Marion will get an outline to you so that you'll be able to take notes on the lecture today. Now last time, I shared with you something about properly basic beliefs, that beliefs which are appropriately grounded can be taken in a properly basic way. It is perfectly rational to hold these beliefs even though we may not be able to argue for the truth of these beliefs. And important examples would include things like be uh, belief in the reality of the external world, or belief in the reality of the past. Uh, these are sorts of things that you can't prove on the basis of argument and evidence, but you are perfectly rational to hold in a properly basic way uh, as rooted in your experience. And what I argued then uh, was that belief in God, in the biblical God, is appropriately grounded um, so that belief in God can be taken in a properly basic way. And I want to look first at the uh, role of the Holy Spirit in believing in a properly basic way in God's existence and in the great truths of the gospel. I would argue that fundamentally the way in which we know that God exists and that Christianity is true is by the self-authenticating witness of God's Holy Spirit. Okay. I'm going to uh, go ahead and pause there. There are a few observations that, that uh, <clears throat> we need to make. So... The first observation is one that I didn't uh, actually take down uh, in notes. I don't know why I didn't, because uh, I thought about it at the time, and I think about it every time I listen to this show. So he gives some examples of what he considers properly basic beliefs. Um, important examples include things like the belief in the reality of the external world or the belief in the reality of the past. And he's trying to hold these things up as being similar to the belief in God. I detect a problem here. And so I, this, sh this should not go uncommented. This is what one might call a false equivalency. At least I, I, I think this represents a false equivalency. So the belief 
in a reality of the external world is a shared belief. We, we all have it. And it, it some, some Buddhists might try to philosophize their way out of it, but they all experience the external world. And they, you know, they might try to explain it away. But this is a, this is a common experience that we all have. Um, the belief in the reality of the past is also a common experience that we all have. Don't believe me? Think a thought right now. Okay, you've just experienced the past if you remember the thought you just thought. Okay, that's a common experience. We all have it. All right? Um, belief in God is not a common experience. It is not an experience that uh, we all have. It does not belong in a list that includes uh, the belief in uh, the reality of the external world or belief in reality of the past. Uh, where am I wrong, Mr. Kent? Well, I don't think you're wrong. I think I agree with everything you're saying. <clears throat> I have, I lingered on that spot too. I kept going back and I wrote some notes down thinking like, I kept thinking I wasn't understanding it right. I'm thinking, is he saying that the external world is not self-evident? Because I thought it was, you know, I uh, interact I with the world on a physical basis and it uh, uh, seems pretty self-evident to me and I didn't realize, I mean, I'm aware that, you know, there are some arguments from, like, Buddhism, as you said, that, like, it could be an illusion or maybe the argument that we're all living in a simulation or something like that. But until such time as you can prove we're living in a simulation, I thought reality was self-evident. But maybe I'm missing something. Darren, is, is, well, is uh, belief in God and um, experience of reality the same thing? Well, no. Uh... I think what he's referring there to there is uh, solipsism, which is this idea that you can't, there's no way to get from your perception to reality. So he makes up this idea of basic beliefs so that he can bridge that gap. Um, it's, uh, I, I prefer the baseball bat test myself. <laughs> you get a friend, you get a baseball bat, and then you ask your friend to uh, hit you as hard as they can with the baseball bat. Um, I think that pretty much establishes that there exists a reality out there. Right. So uh, I, I also have a similar proof against solipsism, but I think in this case it doesn't really matter because whether it's solipsistic or not, we all, to the extent that there are more people here than me and the one who programmed this simulation, uh, we all experience some sense of reality in the external world. Once again, I don't care how you explain it away. It doesn't matter. It's still a common experience. Um, belief in William Lane Craig's God is not actually a common experience. Uh, it is not as real as baseball bats. So I, uh, I wanted to just get that one out there because uh, I, it wasn't in my notes. Um, I figured that there might be some other people who heard that, and I didn't want to leave that uncommented. I, I wanted to actually bring in a thought from Brian with an I uh, this past week when we were discussing this, maybe a couple of weeks ago now. Um, uh, when we're discussing this online, he was, uh, I think he's the one who brought this particular video to my attention. 
Uh, and he was expressing some frustration about this uh, particular presentation. He was he was confused by some of by trying to figure out what William Lane Craig was trying to say. Uh, and so there are a couple of points that are confusing. Normally, I have nothing but praise about William Lane Craig's teaching style because whatever you think about what he teaches, he teaches well. I um, there's there's a lot that I appreciate about his style of teaching uh, and that, uh, you know, I would, would like to learn from. But in this case, there are some confusing things, just starting with the very beginning. So he starts with last time we began an excursus in natural theology or arguments for the existence of God, okay? So we begin this series on arguments for the existence of God. Two sentences later, this is not an argument for God's existence. This this confusion is going to come up <laughs> again. So this is not just me looking at something out of context. Uh, this is this is actually legitimately uh, confusing at times to discover whether he's trying to make an argument for the existence of God or whether he's not trying to make an argument for the existence of God. Uh, he says that... Um, he, he says about properly basic beliefs uh, that they are that they have to be appropriately grounded. The term appropriately grounded here is doing some work and um, it needs to do some work. What I don't understand, uh, gentlemen, is why we need a term like properly basic. Because if we if we are acknowledging that all beliefs must be appropriately grounded, then why don't we just say appropriately grounded beliefs? Why do we need to say properly basic beliefs as if that's something different from appropriately grounded beliefs? I think it's because the uh, Plantinga, when he first started, he realized that none of the arguments for God actually work. Um, so he needed some way to get to God without the arguments. And so his properly basic beliefs is how he did that. Clark, is, um, did, did you notice this uh, at all? I mean, it, am, I, am I wrong to just say we could talk about all beliefs as being either appropriately grounded or not appropriately grounded? Do we, do we need some other term? You know, I'm not sure, and I think he's, <clears throat> I'm not sure if he's splitting hairs with the words, but what I, the part that I keep catching on is that it's, it's, pro, it's, a, it's just a properly grounded belief rooted in your own experience, and that's the part that I keep getting hung up on, because personal experience is subjective, especially when you're talking about any experiences you have with a deity that may or may not exist, because everybody seems to experience him differently. And since none of those experiences line up, I don't know how you could say, oh, there, see, we're all experiencing God, therefore he must be real, the Holy Spirit must be real. Um, I call that into question. As for the term itself, um, properly basic. It is kind of a strange word, I will, I will agree to that. Yeah, I don't understand it. I've, um, I've discussed this with um, Dale, uh, online and offline, um, Sometimes I've I've read some Plantinga. I'm not proud of it, but uh, you know I've I've tried to put in the work uh, to understand it, and it it seems to me 
that something is being smuggled in, and I can't quite put my finger on it, but I mean, I know what beliefs are, you know, and I know what appropriate grounding is, and I don't know why that's not good enough. And so um, I would agree uh, with you, Clark, that our own experience, that actually seems to be uh, a, a questionable place for grounding because our experience is so easily uh, uh, deceived, swayed by by things that aren't true. You know, you you look in, you, you look at a stick in a pool, and the stick looks bent. You have to actually have some grounding in something else to understand that the stick is not bent. Um, so th- that just seems to be uh, maybe, uh, you know, a little bit questionable. Or, you know, if you've taken some drugs or bumped your head real hard, uh, you might experience things that are not actually happening. You know, it's really, really easy for our sp- for our own experience to deceive us when that is the highest level. I'm not saying that that's not some level, some part of how we how we perceive things. But when that's the highest level of it, that becomes concerning. And I would add on to that, that not only is that true, but it gets worse because when we are wrong, we feel like we are, uh, we're, uh, we feel like we are true, uh, and the more wrong we are, the more true we think it, that we feel it is. And so, when you base something on how true you feel it is, um, like they do with properly basic beliefs, because they self-authenticating because it feels so true, it couldn't possibly be wrong. Then that also presents an issue on top of what you already. Uh, right. Out. So as as we get into his six points, um, the thing I think that needs to be highlighted, uh, this phrase, I would argue that fundamentally, the way in which we know that God exists and that Christianity is true, just pause for a moment. This is really important. Uh, this is a big deal. This is a big time Christian apologist saying, this is really how we know it. Okay, Forget about all the bullshit arguments that we make. For, forget about all of the uh, Bible that we quote and are, and are going to quote. Uh, forget about all that. The main way, the fundamental way that we know that God exists and that Christianity is true is by the self-authenticating witness of God's Holy Spirit. This is the thing that trumps everything. This goes on top of everything. This defeats everything. Um, So if, if a Christian finds themselves in an argument that they're losing, it doesn't matter. Self-authenticating witness of the Holy Spirit. It's the get-out-of-jail-free card. 
if a Christian gives some BS uh, reason for why they believe and they're called out on it and they can't defend it, doesn't matter. Self-authenticating witness of God's Holy Spirit. This is how they were converted. This is what Craig is saying. This is this is the thing that really matters to them. And one of the things that I've often um, said is that all of the talk about apologetics doesn't convert anybody. And it, and it frustrates me when Christians go into this ivory tower apologetics academic mode because no one is converted that way. The, the real way they're converted is something far more basic than that. This is this is Craig just saying it right here. The way we know that it's really true is because of the Holy Spirit in our heart. That's how we know. Yeah, I think apologetics is more about keeping the doubters in line than anything else. I don't think that's actually meant to try to yeah, I think he even alludes to that, if not in this uh, lecture and others that I listen to. Um, but he does go into his first point, which is this thing. The experience of the Holy Spirit is veridical and unmistakable for him uh, that has it. Did we listen to this uh, part already? Too big of a chunk, so I don't remember if I if we went over this. So I'm going to pick this up um, after the next chunk, and uh, and we'll start there. Uh, so he's he's now just getting into his his six part thesis. It goes fairly quick, and uh, we're going to cover each of them. So here we go. Any any other uh, final statements before we take the next bite? Okay, here we go. Now, what do I mean by the self-authenticating witness of God's Holy Spirit? Well, let me mention six points by way of explanation. First of all, I mean that the experience of the Holy Spirit is veridical and unmistakable for him who has it. The experience of the Holy Spirit is veridical and unmistakable for someone who has it. That is to say, if you are a person who genuinely is experiencing the inner witness of the Holy Spirit, you can't mistake that for something else and think that it's just um, another God or uh, some sort of fraudulent experience. Um, you cannot mistake it. It is a, a, a veridical experience, that is to say a genuine, authentic experience of God himself. But this doesn't mean that it's irresistible or indubitable. I think it's unmistakable and veridical for the person who has it. But nevertheless, through sin, we can quench the Holy Spirit in our lives. We can resist the Holy Spirit. So this experience is not necessarily an irresistible or indubitable experience for him who has it. Second. Okay. All right. <laughs> This is um, interesting to say the least. Uh, so there has been some conversation on the board between uh, Marvin and I and Marvin and uh, Brian with an I, possibly Brian with a Y. I can't remember if he joined in on this conversation or not. Um, there has been some question about whether this can possibly be consistent. On the one hand, William Lane Craig says that the experience of the Holy Spirit is unmistakable. Unmistakable. Think about what that means. You can't mistake it for anything else. All right. It, uh, it cannot be 
mistaken for something that is fraudulent or another god or, or any example that you put there. And yet, and yet, he leaves room so it seems that one could doubt the Holy Spirit. Now, the, the controversy came up when, uh, when I um, commented on this on the board and I said, you know, based on William Lane Craig's theology here, um, you can't doubt the Holy Spirit. And Marvin said, oh, yes, you can. You see, he says it's not indubitable. I understand. He says those words. In fact, he says it uh, twice throughout here. I'm, what I'm saying is it's inconsistent. Uh, it can't be both mis mistakable and unmistakable. Um, that's not possible. You see, and if you doubt something that is genuine, then you are mistaking it for something that's not genuine. That is the very nature of, of doubt. So um, another one of the, the rebuttals was, you know, it sounds like maybe uh, Marvin and maybe Craig are trying to carve out a niche where you could, it, it's unmistakable one moment, but doubtable the next. That doesn't make sense either, though. If you understand the working of the Holy Spirit, uh, as Craig will uh, unfold uh, throughout this presentation, the Holy Spirit doesn't just come in, do a work, and then sit in a reclining chair and do nothing from that point on. The work that the Spirit does initially is the work that he does continually. It is not a one-time confirmation of God's existence and the truth of Christianity. It is a continual confirmation. And so if the Holy Spirit is there at all, if he is doing his work at all, then it is always unmistakable. It is, it is not unmistakable today and doubtable tomorrow. Uh, so that's, that's not how that would work. And so um, what Craig says here, and, and this is kind of where I think he's finding uh, space for this, uh, is he says the, the Holy Spirit can be quenched, right? That's, that's a biblicalish concept, you know, quench not the, the Spirit. So the idea is the Spirit is doing its unmistakable job, but you can knowingly quench it, right? That you, it, how do you quench it, uh, according to Craig, through sin? You can intentionally quench the Spirit through your intentional sinfulness. I, I think that's kind of where Craig is coming through. So when he says it's not indubitable, or it's not irresistible. I think he's saying, yeah, you could doubt it, but that's only because you are, um, you are knowingly and willingly allowing sin to come and put out the fire of the, the Spirit. He, he's not saying that you have a legitimate doubt. There's no, he, from, from his perspective, there is no way to legitimately doubt it or legitimately mistake it for something else. So that's, that's what I think Craig is saying here. Now, uh, I, I don't agree with what he's, uh, what I think he's actually saying from a theological perspective either, and I might talk about that later, but I just wanted to kind of put that out there and pay off that uh, discussion that had started 
uh, on the internet. So it it sounds to me anyway, uh, in summary, that Craig is saying that once you have this experience, it is absolutely veridical. It is it is proof to you that God exists in that. Christianity is true, and there is no way, no way to mistake it for anything else other than the legitimate truth that it is. Uh, did either of you hear anything different? No, I think you're, you've got an accurate description of it. If you go into this series, a couple of videos in the future, uh, he comes out and says that anyone who disbelieves is just being dishonest. Um, he has some questions and answers with uh, his the people he's giving the lecture to, and they go on and on about how anyone who's not a Christian is just being dishonest. Right, and in the uh, in the show that uh, we did a couple of weeks ago, um, <coughs> excuse me, answering Kyle, uh, we went over another William Lane Craig video on the subject of doubt. Maybe it was the video on doubt. It was a separate show, but. We, uh, we looked at William Lane Craig's view on doubt. And he says, very straightforward, that doubt is an attack from Satan. It's, it's a supernatural thing when you're doubting God. It's not, it's not good humans having good reasons to doubt. That's not what it is. So it's, it's something else that's happening in the spiritual realm. This is, I mean, Craig seems to be pretty clear about this. So he is not actually leaving room for, quote unquote, seekers to legitimately doubt uh, their internal witness. He will get to, we will get to this more later. Um, Clark? Yeah, I kind of came at this from a slightly different angle. It's when he says that it's unmistakable. Um, <clears throat> this reminds me of a kind of a phrase that. I picked up in church is when uh, different believers would say to me, you know that you know that you know. Like that was something that they would echo a lot. You know that you know that you know, right? That's that internal witness of the Holy Spirit. But he's kind of leaving the door open, not that you could mistake that what you're sensing is the Holy Spirit, but he does leave this little window that like you could still be getting it wrong though. So it's like, you know, oh, the Holy Spirit spoke to me yesterday. I got a word from the Lord and he wants us to do X. And then you know, you go back to uh, your your you know, fellow believers at church, and they kind of got, mm, no, nah, that's that's not what he told me. Uh, go back and pray a little more, fast some, read your scripture again. You're you're not hearing him correct. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. not a good enough a believer yet, and that's why you knew it was the Holy Spirit, but the message was garbled for you in some way. And I kind of read, I kind of read what he's saying that way. It's like, oh, there's no mistaking that was the Holy Spirit, but you can totally mistake what the Holy Spirit is doing or saying to you because. You, you dirty little sinner, you get things mixed up. You always do. <laughs> so you need to go back and, you know, pray more. That's how I That's how I interpret it. I don't see how that works. I'll, I'll be honest with you. If it's unmistakable, it, it has to be taking in the human component, right? I mean, it, it's unmistakable for me. Now, God knows the kinds of things I can mistake. <clears throat> If it's unmistakable for me, then there's no way for me to mistake it. <laughs> it you know, right. it, it's clear enough to get past the garbled way I look at things. You know, and if it's not, then it's mistakable. <laughs> you, know, you can't, it can't be unmistakable but garbled to you. I'm not, mis I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm saying 
that I'm, I'm sort of connecting this to my own personal Yes, you are, damn it! <laughs> <laughs> because I thought I knew what the Holy Spirit was telling me, too, until other believers told me I was wrong. You know? So it was unmistakable to me, but they were convinced I was wrong. And that's I think that's what we're talking about here, because it's this it's this weird little creation that can be both things at the same time. It's very confusing. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm not I'm not with it. <laughs> so um, it, it sounds like when when people say, oh, no, it there is room for doubt. They're trying to save William Lane Craig from his insanity. And, and I think this is the first bit of really big insanity that that we're looking at. Uh, because for Craig, he's way more um, uh, conservative than a lot of people who are defending him. Um, way more fundamental. And he, what he is saying is, outside of your willful sin, there is no way to confuse the inner witness of the Holy Spirit with anything else, period. And, and Christians don't want to say that. What Christians want to say, especially when they get on uh, shows where they have to debate atheists, is they want to pretend like there is, uh, sure, it's okay to doubt. Of course, we're humans. We, uh, you know, we have doubts sometimes. Not Craig. Not Craig. No, the hell you don't. You have doubts when you're an evil, sinful fuck who is allowing Satan to come in and, um, you know, intentionally allowing Satan to come in and quench the spirit. That's Craig. So, yeah, um, yeah, that's what I go ahead. I'm sorry. Um, what I find interesting is that this is one of those unintended tests that uh, Christians make that they don't realize is a test of whether what they're saying is true or not. Because I can, I know my perception of reality is much better than they do. And so when they tell me that my perception of reality is something that it isn't, I can easily just falsify that claim that they're making well but you're also a liar so uh if you say that you're not intentionally quenching the spirit why should they believe you god well, says yeah, you but are if, but if they they're saying i'm a liar then that's another test that they're presenting me with <laughs> you know <laughs> it's just just another falsification of whatever they're saying Let's pick up the next couple. Uh, he goes through these in fairly rapid succession. And uh, so rapidly, one of the people in the audience asks him to go back. Uh, so let's, let's pick this next one. Next Secondly, one. I mean that a person who enjoys the witness of the Holy Spirit doesn't need supplementary arguments or evidence in order to know and know with confidence that he is in fact experiencing the Spirit of God. There it is. A person who has the witness of the Holy Spirit doesn't need to have arguments and evidence in order to know that uh, God's Spirit is witnessing to him the truth of uh, Christianity. Thirdly, I mean that such an experience does not function in this case as a premise in an argument from religious experience to God. Rather, it is just the immediate experience of God himself. It's important to understand that the self-authenticating witness of the Holy Spirit 
is not an argument for Christianity from religious experience. It's not saying we have these religious experience. The best explanation of these is that they're genuine and veridical, and therefore Christianity is true. It's not an argument. Rather, just as you have the immediate experience of the external world or the reality of the past, so for the person who is experiencing the inner witness of God's spirit, he grasps in an immediate way um, God's presence and uh, isn't arguing for God's uh, presence on the basis of religious experience. Uh, okay. We'll, we'll get to that last one in a, in a bit. Uh, in fact, I might just drive by it and wait till they swing around to it again. Uh, I found the uh, second one, though, uh, very interesting. Um, a person who enjoys the witness of the Holy Spirit does not need supplementary arguments or evidence. I feel like this is the goal of all of this. <laughs> it, the goal is to say to the Christians who have been foolish enough to engage in uh, Internet debates with Internet atheists and who have uh, gotten their asses kicked again and again and again and gotten their faith um, uh, dented and strained. This is Craig saying, stop it. Stop it. You're, you're not going to beat them. Forget about the arguments, okay? Forget all, all these academic arguments. You don't need arguments when you've got the inner witness of the Holy Spirit. You don't have to worry about it. Um, and I feel like this is an admission of the defeat of all of the arguments. That's, I mean, that's what it feels like to me. It, it, it just feels like... Um, you know, maybe maybe more charitably, Craig is saying, you know, you see us academics making these arguments and you try it yourself and you fall on your face. Just stop doing that. You don't need arguments. <laughs> leave, leave the arguments to the experts. You've got the inner witness of the Holy Spirit. That's all you need. What What is he saying, Clark? Uh, I think you've nailed it. I mean, to me, it's just he's saying, look, you just know it. You don't have to show it. And it's, it's, uh, <clears throat> it's more about insulating the believer than anything else because, you know, like you said, they go on to have these debates with atheists and they, you know, have trouble with certain arguments that don't always work. But this is sort of like a way to sort of insulate the believer to say it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if your argument falls apart. You know that you know that you know. So you know this is real. You don't have to prove it to them. That's just how I take it. Hey, Darren, uh, you've been working too hard in your debates against Christians, you don't need arguments. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it is true that a lot of times when I'm debating Christians, what's going through my mind is not the arguments, but, oh my God, that is so stupid, I can't believe they can tie their shoes in the morning. But I don't think anyone finds that overly convincing, just like they don't find, oh, I really, 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 really believe it. Therefore, it's true regardless of what the evidence says. Yeah. So one of the things that I, I often say when I'm talking to Christians about their internal witness or you know, whatever they're calling it at the time, their senses divinitatis, is that not only is this not good evidence for me, 
for you to give me. This is not even good evidence for you. Um, your, your internal sensation that you are in the presence of God is not actually a reliable mechanism for you. And this is William Lane Craig. A lot of Christians take this to heart. And they, they go to, you just look at the Q&As that he does in, in his Defender series. I mean, he's, he's out there in the internet, and I, I praise Craig for doing that, at least putting that out there. And what, what Christians are asking for, especially these Christians on college campuses, what they're asking for is a better argument or better evidence, not to prove to other people what they believe, but better evidence for themselves. Uh, the show that we did on Answering Kyle, Kyle's issue wasn't that he needed better evidence to win Internet debates. It was that he, he thought that we should have better evidence for our, the purposes of our own beliefs. This is William Lane Craig saying, for the purposes of your own belief, you don't need any, you don't need any arguments. The, the internal witness of the Holy Spirit is all you need for yourself. Don't worry about lowering the bar. There is no bar. That's, that's uh, Craig's answer. I think that that's what he's saying here. And, and, well, and he wouldn't even necessarily be wrong, except he, the, this idea that the Holy Spirit talks to you is just made up. I mean, if he could actually prove that there was a uh, supernatural and that you actually did have this um, sense like you do sight and hearing uh, and speech and all that, um, then it actually wouldn't be a bad argument. The problem is, is that he's just making all this up and he's not even bothering to show that any of it's true. So. Okay, I'm going to, let's go ahead and skip number three and go straight to four and five. Fourthly, I mean that in certain contexts, the experience of the Holy Spirit will imply the apprehension of certain truths of the Christian religion, such as uh, God exists, uh, or in the case of an unbeliever, I am condemned by God when he's under conviction of sin. Or, I am reconciled to God when someone has been born again and comes to know Christ. Okay, I'm actually going to pause it right there. Uh, I, I didn't want to do this, but there, I, can't let, I can't let this go. <laughs> I can't let him finish this thought right here. Um, the, uh, he starts off by saying, in certain contexts. I, I can't wait to hear those contexts where where this happens so let's keep an ear out for that but in certain contexts this is the message if you want to know what the witness of the holy spirit is actually witnessing this is a question that i have asked before thank you dr craig for just taking it on i have asked christians this for years and they have never given me an answer what what exactly is the witness of the Holy Spirit witnessing to? Dr. Craig says, I'll take a shot at that. <laughs> so uh, what is it, Dr. Craig? He's witnessing that God exists. It's better than mine. Right, here's, here's one we can't let go because there's going to be an after show. <laughs> 
I'm not, I'm not I'm not giving away too much. I'm just saying there's got to be an after show, and I'm saying it right here. Or in the case of an unbeliever. Can we just go ahead and say atheist there? In the case of an atheist, the Holy Spirit is actually witnessing to atheists. What is he witnessing? I am condemned by God when he is under conviction of sin. Did you know, Clark, that um, atheists could have the inner witness of the Holy Spirit? <laughs> is it, is this heard, news to you, too? <laughs> yeah, I've, I've heard people say, oh, yeah, the Holy Spirit can work on unbelievers. That's the only way you can come to know God. And then the other people are like, yeah, but without, if you're not a believer, you can't have the witness of the Holy Spirit. And it's like both at the same time, which always confused me. Um, and the, I, I also wonder about these truths, uh, like, you know, it tells the unbeliever, unbeliever that you're condemned by God. How would you know that truth if you hadn't been told that by like a pastor or, or some other, like, you know, somebody trying to witness to you or showing you scripture verses? Like, would you ever feel this if you had never interacted with a Christian before? Because it's true. You could still be able to feel it, right? That's Craig's claim. It's, it's got to be the Spirit convicting you of that because you wouldn't ordinarily know it. So the inner witness of the Holy Spirit in certain contexts is available to atheists. Certain contexts. Yeah. So, all right, Dr. Craig, I'm sorry I interrupted you. Maybe you can pick up and explain that to us further. Christ lives in me. These are the sort of truths which one apprehends through the inner witness of the Holy Spirit. Now understand, these are the sorts of truths. This is not an exhaustive list. So he kind of leaves this fairly open-ended. We can imagine other truths that the witness of the Holy Spirit is telling you as well. But these are the sorts of things about those contexts. Fifth, I mean no, that such yet. an experience provides one not only with a subjective assurance of Christianity's truth, but with objective knowledge of the. Okay, I, I'm again breaking my own promise, but I can't go further. Uh, <laughs> Mr. Demonstrator, um, You've, you've spent more time than I have thinking about this. So it's not just a subjective thing. It's also an objective thing. Can you uh, maybe briefly tell the audience what a subjective assurance is and what in, what objective knowledge is? Because you get both. Well, the, pro well, the problem is, is that Christians don't use the same definition of the objective that we do. When they say objective, they basically mean told by God. They don't actually mean independent of any minds like everyone else does. So this really muddies the water. I'm not entirely sure what he's saying here. I'm not saying, I'm not sure if he's saying that since God told us, we know that it's true. Uh, that Christianity is true because the Holy Spirit is God telling us that Christianity is true? I think that's kind of what he's trying to say by saying objective knowledge of that truth. 
So when I think of objective knowledge, I think of, you know, Newton's apple falling from the tree. That's, that's an object doing things. And that's, a, that's a thing that's repeatable. We can see it. Uh, we can know it with the highest degree of confidence that humans are justified in giving a thing. Uh, appropriately grounded, right? That's, that's about as appropriately grounded as we can get. When I think of subjective assurance, I think of something that is only really perceptible to you. Um, Rocky Road is the greatest ice cream of all times. All right, that, that would fall in the realm of a subjective assurance. I mean, that's true for me. But you may not see it the way I do. But apples falling from trees is something that everybody sees the same way. Uh, Clark, what, what do you hear here? Because I've got a feeling that this is important. Uh, Craig is, he's actually laying the groundwork to poo-poo this idea that the inner witness of the Holy Spirit is nothing more than just subjective assurance. Yeah, I think, uh, I think you're both right. I mean, objective is something verifiable, right? I mean, I have, you guys can't see it, I don't have a camera on, but I have a little thermos here. It's made of blue plastic and holds approximately 24 ounces fluid. Flip top spout on it. Any of you could double check that. You could go find that version of the thermos and look at it and test it and see like, is it made of plastic? Does it really hold that much fluid? You could check that. That's what objective means, right? Um, but if I said, this is a great thermos, we might not agree on that. You know, we can both agree that it's a thermos, but we might not agree that it's a good one. That's sort of the subjective part of it. And so that, I don't know. Anytime you say that, oh, there's objective things uh, about the Holy Spirit, then that means that, okay, so there should be something I could check and get the same result. And I usually can't. Well, but yeah, you can. I'm not sure that's though. what they mean when they say that, though. Well, I, let me just say you can, because he just said that it's available to unbelievers. Oh. Right, so, because he said that I'm just doing it wrong, then. Well, you may be right. I don't know. That's the problem with... Uh, using objective here is because like when they're arguing for objective morals, they don't mean objective like you just explained it. They mean dictated by God. Right. So, but I, I think there's something else going on here. I think that what Craig is talking about, and I don't want to put words in his mouth, but because, uh, believe it or not, I'm not actually trying to be uncharitable. I think what he's talking about is something like absolute certainty. In so in, in generic terms, he is saying when I'm when I'm telling you what I'm telling you about the witness of the Holy Spirit is it's not something that you're going to be doubting five minutes later or you're not sure of. It was just kind of a an interesting feeling uh, that, that that you have for a moment and then it goes away. That's just an, a subjective assurance. He's saying, no, it's actually way more certain than that. This is objective evidence that God exists. This is, this is not a subjective idea that God exists. And so that, that's kind of how he's contrasting it. He's talking about the level of confidence that a Christian should have in the witness of the Holy Spirit. Okay, I can see that. And he's, he's using the language of, uh, of 
objectivity. So you're saying he's, it's not actually objective information, but that it's it's a confidence that's like objective information. Exactly. Ah, okay. Exactly. I, I, tricky, tricky. You know, uh, hit me up in the comments, skeptics and seekers. Dot squarespace.com, log in your discuss account and discuss away. Hit me up in the comments, let me know if you hear that uh, differently. But I mean, that was actually uh, me trying to be charitable <laughs> to what I, what I thought that Craig was saying. Okay, let's, uh, let's motor. Truth. I'm not saying that the witness of the Holy Spirit just gives you a touchy feely uh, assurance that Christianity is true, a feel-good experience. Rather, I'm saying that through the witness of the Holy Spirit, you come to have an objective knowledge that God exists, that uh, you are reconciled to God through Christ, things of that sort. We're not talking here about uh, fuzzy, warm experiences. We're talking about objective knowledge. And finally, number six, I mean that arguments and evidence incompatible with that truth are overwhelmed by the experience of the Holy Spirit for him who attends fully to it. Uh, a okay, I, I mentioned this earlier, and so I'm just going to bookend it uh, right now by saying, um, yeah, it's, it's not just that it is fundamentally or primarily, the way, you, the way a Christian knows God and that Christianity is true is not just fundamentally the inner witness of the Holy Spirit. It, that is the answer when all answers fail. Um, and this is just him saying it outright. Uh, this, is, this is him saying that if there is some other argument, you know, we, we heard this uh, a week or so ago when we looked at doubt. Remember that video on doubt that we did? Uh, Greg was saying if in some alternate universe there was someone came up with evidence that Christianity wasn't true, he still would remain a Christian because his uh, inner witness would overwhelm that testimony. This is what he is saying here. So even if you lose the argument, uh, my dear Christians, which you will, you're getting on the internet with David Johnson. <laughs> you're going to lose the argument. So look, when you lose the argument... Um, don't worry about it because the inner witness of the Holy Spirit trumps David's best argument. It trumps you looking like a fool. It trumps you having no answer. In fact, it trumps the fact that you even buy the counter arguments. The witness of the Holy Spirit trumps all of that. And so there is nothing, there is zero way to falsify your belief. Uh, we've all watched uh, or listened to the uh, unbelievable program with Justin uh, Briley on Premier Christian Radio. He used to be very fond of asking his skeptical guests, what would it take for you to believe? And I would turn that around and um, say, what would it take for you not to believe? And, and Craig would jump at the chance to answer that question. His answer is nothing. Nothing. My belief is unfalsifiable. It is fortified against all evidence and reason. And this is this is what he has just said here. And at this point, I have no idea how you would have a conversation that was remotely honest with Craig about this stuff or with one of his students who takes this to heart. 
I blathered on enough. Uh, Darren, you can have the first bite of the apple this time. Uh, I just find it interesting that you can claim you are being reasonable when you don't accept any reasons. It's, um, it seems like one of those uh, hypocrisies that Christian is just sort of full of. And he still hasn't shown that anything that he's claiming about the Holy Spirit or his sense of divinitatis or anything is actually true or accurate or is in fact how reality works. Mark? I mean, it just sounds to me sort of like the it's a spiritual equivalent of just putting your fingers in your ears and saying, la, 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 I'm not listening to you because that's effect, the same effect you get. Um, it doesn't matter what you say. I know I'm right, and you're never going to convince me that I'm wrong. Uh, you're right. The conversation sort of breaks down at that point. Yeah. I, that, as, as much as I like the, the teaching style of William Lane Craig, I think this is the worst thing he's ever taught. And he's taught some pretty bad things. I thought his uh, speech on doubt was, was terrible. But this is actually the worst thing I think he's ever taught because he's teaching stu students how to think. And in this case, what he is teaching them is that no evidence should ever be enough to sway you. Because even when you're convinced that the, ev the counter evidence is true, you should be more convinced of the inner witness of the Holy Spirit. So, yeah, I think uh, this is actually why a lot of Christians lose the arguments on, uh, on the web. I was in a debate with some podcast people at one point. Google it if you're really curious. And I finally got them to tell me why they think there's objective morality. And they just said, because I believe it. And it's this kind of thinking of, it feels, uh, I feel like I'm right. And I don't feel like I could be wrong, and therefore it's true type thinking that is sort of the root of all that. So let's uh, let's go ahead. It's going to be fairly short order. I won't do too much interrupting uh, the rest of the way, but I'll give you guys uh, plenty of opportunity to, um, to speak. So if you have your notes, uh, go ahead and look at them. I'm going to abandon most of mine. Uh, we'll get into some of the Q&A uh, in a little bit. These are his six points. I, I think at this point we are, I think the idea of the inner witness of the Holy Spirit is utterly defeated. But we've got a little bit of time, so we're going to defeat it some more. A <laughs> person who is experiencing the witness of the Holy Spirit may confront unbelievers or skeptics who offer arguments and evidence against Christianity which he cannot answer. He may not be in a position to answer these objections to his faith. But what I'm suggesting is that for someone who fully attends to the witness of the Spirit, who doesn't quench the Spirit, uh, who doesn't live in sin, for one who attends fully to the witness of the Spirit, the witness of God's Spirit will simply provide such warrant for the truth of Christianity that it will overwhelm the arguments and evidence that are brought against it. Okay, I'm sorry. I, I am now pissed off. Um, I've, it's just been an intellectual exercise before now, but it's the second time that Craig has uh, connected 
uh, honest doubts to quenching the spirit and sin. You, you hear what he says, you know, if for those people who aren't living in sin and quenching the spirit, this is, this is, you know, an, an unmistakable uh, kind of argument. What he is saying should outrage any Christian who has ever had doubt. He is impugning your good character. He is saying that the reason you have doubt is not because you've got any good reasons at all. It's because you are infested with sin. What, what Craig is really saying is, what secret sin are you guilty of, you filthy doubter? There's no room to interpret this any other way. And no human being should be treated like that. Every human being should have the, the right to have honest doubts about propositions, to be able to explore those doubts, to be able to ask better questions, to, to do better reading, to do better thinking and learn more and improve uh, their knowledge and understanding of things. Craig, no, no, you don't get to improve anything. When it comes to Holy Spirit, that's it. That's the end of the road. Uh, he would echo Paul, though we, or even an angel from heaven, if God sends an angel from heaven to correct you, and, and tell you that what you've learned is wrong, you should assume the angel from heaven is accursed. That what we've taught is the right thing. And this is what Craig is saying about the inner witness of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't matter. Everything else, anything else that would contradict that would be accursed. Even your own sinful doubts. God, I, I, I hate that so much because he's telling Christians, not only should you not engage in arguments, you know, have better arguments for yourself, but you don't even get to engage in doubt. I, I consider this a, a type uh, of mental abuse. This is, this is as cult-like as it gets. And I implore anyone listening to this, if that's the kind of faith you have, get the fuck out. Darren, talk me down. Oh, I completely agree. The uh, ironic thing, though, is that Plantinga, the person that came up with this idea of uh, properly basic beliefs, he doesn't actually sell it the same way Craig does. He says that uh, like a, a voodoo person has a properly basic belief that their religion is true. And, but yet, voodoo and Christianity can't both be true. They're sort of mutually exclusive ideas about how the fundamental natures of how reality works. So even Plantinga's, um, you know, the person that came up with this idea of properly basic beliefs admits that this is not a reliable way to know reality. Uh, because you can have people with co contradictory, properly basic beliefs at the same time. Okay, you failed to talk me down. Clark, do, 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 do better. <laughs> I'm, I'm <laughs> pissed off. <laughs> okay, well, you know, first breathe. Mm. You dress in, you know, <laughs> in through the nose, out through the mouth, count to five. Relax, relax your hands, uh, but, relax your arms. I mean, as far as what he's saying, I mean, they, they, it happened to me. It's happened to me, you know. 
Why can't I hear God's voice? Why won't he speak to me? Why does he always leave me alone in the dark? Well, maybe you should stop watching those TV shows. Yeah, well, maybe you should stop listening to that evil music that you like so much. It's always something. It's always something about your personality that they just personally don't like. And they're like, well, I can hear God's voice, so I guess I'm holy and you're not. And it's just a way of weeding people out, in a sense, or at least uh, maybe not weeding out. Because they don't actually want you to go, but they want you to be just like them. You know, they want you to conform. And, uh, you know, so, I mean, if it makes you angry, I think you're right to be angry. Because I got angry when they did it to me, too. Okay, so what you guys are both saying is jump, jump, jump. <laughs> um, it's cool. Well, it is lo- logically possible that you can fly by flapping your wings, so go ahead, jump. It doesn't answer the arguments and evidence, but it just overwhelms them and makes the uh, truth of the Christian faith more evident. Than- <laughs> it doesn't answer the arguments, but it you can shout louder and overwhelm them. <laughs> Uh, it's falsity. Uh, think, for example, if you were confronted with some Buddhist who tries to convince you that the external world does not exist, that this is all illusory. Any argument that he would offer for that conclusion would be based on premises which are less obvious and less certain than just your properly basic belief that there is an external world. So those alleged defeaters are simply overwhelmed by the uh, warrant that you already have in a properly basic way for the belief in the external world. And my contention is that something similar is the case with the witness of the Holy Spirit, um, at least for those who are in a situation like this. Now, let me ask if there's any comment or question about any of those six points. Let's go to Jim down here in the front. Could you repeat number three and four a little slower, please? Yes. So yeah, because that was batshit crazy. Could you <laughs> could you maybe say that again in a way that makes some sense? Because I'm a college student and probably in a a graduate uh, course, but what you were saying is got anyway. I'm sorry. Just number three was that the witness of the Holy Spirit doesn't function as a premise in an argument from religious experience. There are arguments for God from religious experience. People will say, look at the worldwide religious experience that people have in so many faiths. This has got to have a cause. There must be a transcendent reality that is the source of this religious experience. This isn't like that. This is not a premise in an argument from religious experience. Rather, it is the immediate experiencing of God himself. And again, Okay, aren't Christians constantly telling us that testimony is evidence, that testimony is an argument. Um, you yeah, know, but I don't think look, at, look at the testimony I, of the apostles. That is the argument that what they're saying is true, certainly an argument. And so this is, this is kind of where uh, Brian with an eye uh, was initially confused, and I agree with him, you have direct testimony talking to you, telling you that God exists and that Christianity is true. But that's not an argument? That That's not an argument based on experience? The, the only charitable way that I can kind of let him off the hook for this is to say that the argument from experience is a very 
specific argument um, that is that is a specific apologetic argument and the inner witness of the Holy Spirit is not a part of that specific argument. That's that's the only way I can understand this. Otherwise, this sounds very muddled and confused to me. Well, I think he's comparing it to like the experience of seeing red. It's not that it's the testimony of red saying that it's red. It's your qualia of the red that's uh, that's happening there. So. I think that's where he's coming from that. So it's not the testimony of the Holy Spirit. It's your qualia that couldn't possibly be wrong that this is God actually talking to you. Okay, but that would be evidence of God. Only if you're telling someone else. I think the way he's, he's parsing it out is that it would be your testimony if you're telling someone else, but since it's happening to you and it's your qualia, like redness, then it's not an argument. It's not testimony to you. It's just your experience. Hey, Clark, is the inner witness of the Holy Spirit an argument for God or not? I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, it is the believer. Isn't that what he's been talking about this whole time? It's the believer convincing himself. It's like, it's a hundred percent certainty. Right. So I mean, how is that not? Um, I don't know. I, I I don't know. I'm I'm trying to think charitably out of, uh, about it. It just feels confused to, to me. To the analogy, you don't want to give an argument for the reality of the external world. Any actually, I would give an argument for the reality of the external world, though. <laughs> so this is this is why I, I I mean this sounds absolutely confused. If I wanted to talk to a Buddhist, by the way, I think you're probably strawmanning Buddhism uh, here. There's a little bit more to it than that. But if uh, I wanted to talk to someone about whether or not the um, uh, external world exists, I would at least attempt to give arguments for it. I may I may fail. But I, I would begin there, so I... Mm-hmm. Argument would be bound yes, to fail because it would be based upon evidence that comes from the external world. Um, so you, you simply have it in a... All arguments are evidence based on the external world. No, not in the Christian world, they're not. Uh, I asked Dale once if uh, evidence has to at least be true, you know, corresponds to something in reality. He said no. So in the Christian world, it's not true that arguments are based on evidence. All right. So it, in fairness to Dale, I, I think that he would probably say that that's not what he meant. Um, I'm pretty sure that if you dug down, he may say that, but I'm pretty sure if you dug down deep enough, that's exactly what he uh, would say. Because uh, the, what's the first argument or the first premise of the ontological argument? Uh, if God exists and he's this, you know, blah, blah, blah being, you know, none of that's true. None of that can be established. Yeah, but in all uh, fairness, Dale is not a huge proponent of the ontological argument either. So. But he is a, a huge proponent of Craig. He uh, learned his philosophy from Craig. That is true. Dale <laughs> is, though, I, you know, I don't, I don't want to be a defensive Dale apologist here, but Dale is actually one of the few people, one of the few Christians who will speak up and say what he disagrees with, with regard to Craig. Uh, you know, it's not, it's not all 
you know, agreement. And with some Christians, it seems like Craig ha- is the, the Apostle Paul. You, you, there's no room for disagreement. You have to defend everything he says, no matter how, how crazy. And whereas I think that Dale is a bit of a, Cra- a Craigite, he's not, he's not an absolutist, <laughs> at least in my experience of uh, dealing with well, Dale. So. Well, and, I, and I would agree with that, but I think when Craig says that, you know, you, uh, you, know, you don't have to have evidence for arguments, I think, uh, I think that's exactly what he means. I, I think, think, he, I think Dale probably would agree with that. Um, because he he is uh, a big believer in the senses of Divinitatis and the awareness of the Holy Holy Spirit, and even then, I think I think he might have some slight differences between him and Craig. If I uh, talk to Dale uh, again in the next few weeks, I'll I'll ask him about that further. But I, I do think that there are probably some some differences there. Just being as uh, as fair as I can. Uh, to Dale without having him here to to answer it. We've we've talked for hours about this stuff off off air, and so um, we all kind of say things lazily and carelessly on air. I mean, you you spend enough hours talking to a microphone, some of it's going to be bullshit. Um, but you know, we've had a chance to to dig into a lot of this off air, and. Um, so it leaves me to believe that, you know, Dale's view is maybe not quite as black and white as all that. So, uh, that, and we've had recent uh, conversations, so um, I'm, I'm not just drawing on stuff that happened way back in the past from the first season. Uh, that said, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. This, it seems like, it feels a little bit like Craig wants to have it both ways. Uh, just like in the first couple of sentences of this presentation, this is an excursus on, uh, you know, proofs for God's existence. This is not a proof for God's existence. Um, which is it? Well, it is when I need it to be, and it isn't when it's inconvenient. Um, and I know that's not very charitable, but that's just kind of how it feels. That's a properly basic belief, and I would say that that's also the case with the witness of the Holy Spirit. Now, number four was that in certain contexts, the experience of the Holy Spirit will imply the apprehension of certain truths of the Christian religion. So, for example, imagine a non-believer who is an agnostic. Here here we go with the uh, atheist eternal witness. Uh, He's getting into the context. Listen up, people. This is one of my favorite predictions. But confronted with the beauty and the grandeur of nature, he has the conviction all of this has been made by God. Well, that implies the truth that God exists. Okay, just just hang on. (laughs) Hang on. Like I I said, testable prediction. If you, so the context is an atheist is confronted by the beauty of nature and then has a conviction that this was created by God, and that becomes the evidence of God's existence. That sounds so ridiculous, Clark. Make it make sense. (laughs) You keep giving me the heavy lifting here. I end up stepping on a rake every time. 
you know, if he's talking about nature, I, it's like I'm looking out my window. It's like negative six degrees out there. So I come to the uh, properly basic belief that God's trying to kill us all <laughs> because it's not safe to be outside. Um, did I get it right? Is that what he's talking about? Is that how it's supposed to work? Again, that's the I context. Am, I am not talked down from the ledge. Um, Mr. Demonstrator, um, did you hear anything different uh, there? So the, the context that we've been waiting for all this time is you see the beauty of nature. <laughs> and right. you and come to believe that this... God, God exists. Well, yes, because if I'm following the logic correctly here, it's you see the nature, the Holy Spirit exists in you and is telling you that it's created by God, which is why you know that it was created by God, because the Holy Spirit is telling you this, because of your census defendantis, which apparently you know exists, but you're just lying about it when you say it doesn't exist. Okay. Um... Here's what we're going to do. We're going to do uh, another um, about 10 minutes. Uh, Brian, I see you there. I'm, I'm going to make our 1230 time. We're obviously not going to finish this video, gentlemen, but I've, I've got Brian on a strict time schedule and I want to get I want to get that show in. So um, I am going to do another 10 minutes of this. We're going to pause this show. I'm going to immediately do the after show as if we had finished. The audience will never know the difference. Um, and then I will come back and finish this show with whoever is left. <laughs> so, um, but, but we are going to get through the rest of uh, Craig's speech. And it really, uh, even though it looks like there's a lot on the video, it's really not <laughs> all that much. But... Um, so we'll do it about 10 minutes. Uh, Brian, uh, we will pause and then do the after show, and then we'll come back for those who are here. Here we go. So in grasping that, he grasps the truth of that proposition that God exists. Or again, imagine someone who has been... Okay, I, I just want to ask a question about this. The, the, the atheist who is looking at the beauty of nature and comes to the conclusion that God exists, does he first come to the conclusion and then the witness confirm that the conclusion is correct? Or does the spirit give him the truth that God exists and then the atheist just acknowledges what he's been given? I think it's the second. It, it wouldn't make sense if it was the first one to me because then I don't know what the spirit, what, what the spirit did in that scenario. It was all the work of the atheist. So it, it has to be some work of the Spirit, I would think. Born again and come to know Christ, he has the witness of the Holy Spirit in his heart that he is uh, a, a child of God. And that implies truths like, I am reconciled to God. Um, so, Okay, so if you feel like you are a child of God, then that implies the truth that you are reconciled to God. Doesn't Craig believe in uh, eternal torture? I think he does. I don't want if to say does, for sure. I'm I not sure what, if that's true, then I'm not sure the one follows the other. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not entirely sure how um, being wrong 
fits into all this because Craig does not, in fact, almost certainly Craig does not believe that everyone who thinks they've, uh, they're indwelt with the Holy Spirit actually is indwelt with the Holy Spirit. Um, this is going to come up. It'll be in the uh, second part of the show, but I, I just want to leave that out there. More questions and answers here. Through the witness of the Holy Spirit, we come to apprehend certain truths of the Christian religion. Not just having a fuzzy experience, but we, we grasp truths. That was the point. Does that answer the question, Jim? Okay, number three was that such an experience doesn't function in this case as a premise in any argument from religious experience, but rather just is the immediate experiencing of God. So, so how does a Christian best respond to a non-Christian who claims to have the same properly basic belief about something that's in fact false? And I'm thinking of the Mormons claiming to have the burning in the bosom. That's an, an excellent question. That's an excellent, it's on topic, it, it's, it's timely, and Dr. Craig loves answering good questions. Dr. Craig, what is the answer to that? Exactly. We'll address that question later on when we consider objections. Oh, right damn. now, I'm simply trying to lay the view out, but this will be an important <laughs> yeah, objection. That's, the Mormon that's the video where they say that everyone's no lying. no good reason for why he believes in uh, the doctrine of the Latter-day Saints. So he, this is uh, the only part that I had to note own. Dr. Craig is making an ad hominem attack, in my opinion. There are lots of ad hominem attacks that you can make against Mormons. Don't get me wrong. Mormonism is really, really crazy. But the idea uh, that Craig is espousing here is that the Mormons have no good reason to believe what they believe. We Christians, we have good reasons to believe what we do. But those other people, those Mormons, those Hindus, those Muslims, those they don't have any good reasons at all. Um, well, they don't have the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Except, he says, I have this burning in the bosom that tells me this is true. So we'll address that later. That's not all they say, but okay. All right. Now, it seems to me that the New Testament teaches this view that I've just laid out. And it teaches it with respect to both the believer and the unbeliever alike. Now, at first blush, it might appear to you that it's somewhat uh, circular to appeal to scriptural proof texts to prove the witness of the Holy Spirit, um, as if to say, well, we believe in the witness of the Holy Spirit because the scripture says that there is such a witness of the Holy Spirit. But Insofar as ours is an in-house discussion here among Christian believers who do accept the authority of Scripture, it's perfectly legitimate for us to lay out what Scripture teaches about religious epistemology. Let me just say this. About the theory of knowledge with regard to religious truths. Let me just say this um, for Dr. Craig and for all Christians on the Internet everywhere. There is no such thing as an in-house discussion on the internet you're, you're no longer having an in-house discussion you might think you do you know I, I say this oftentimes that Christians say things and they because they're talking to another Christian directly they they forget that the rest of us are here you cannot have an in-house discussion on the freaking internet can't be done also, 
the fact that in your classroom you've got cameras, you've got a multi-angle, you know, multiple cameras recording this. The moment the camera comes on, it's no longer in in-house discussion. Stop it. <laughs> if you were interacting with an unbeliever, you obviously wouldn't appeal to scripture. You would simply report to him that you do have an inner witness of the Holy Spirit, which vouchsafes to you the great truths of the Christian religion, including that God exists. So at which point you let's the uh, open our scriptures yep. and look first at the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. According to Galatians chapter 3, verse 26, and chapter 4, verse 6, when a person becomes a Christian, he automatically becomes an adopted son of God and is indwelt with the Holy Spirit. Galatians 3.26 and 4.6. Paul says, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. And verse 6, And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Now, Paul makes this very same point in Romans chapter 8. In Romans 8. Just a second. So, let me see if I understand the workflow. God sends his Spirit into believers, and his Spirit cries, Abba, Father. God is crying, Abba, Father, to himself in you. Right. That's only after you become adopted by the Son of God, which contradicts what he was saying earlier, that atheists could uh, have the Holy Spirit in them. Okay. This, this is just very strange. God is calling himself Father, or, or the Christian calls God Father, and then God takes credit for that by saying, it was my spirit that did that. I don't, I don't understand the whole point of the Abba Father thing. 15 to 16, Paul explains that it is the witness of the Holy Spirit with our spirit that allows us to know that we are God's children. Romans chapter 8, verses 15 and 16, he says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Wait a minute, there's a spirit of slavery? I'm just... Uh, apparently how many kind of spirits asshole. are there? <laughs> but you have received the spirit of sonship. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is the Spirit himself bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. That's weird. So Paul says that through the witness of the Holy Spirit, <laughs> we can know it. that we are God's <laughs> children. And that obviously entails, for example, that God exists. Paul uh, uses elsewhere the Greek yeah, word pleurophoria, which means complete confidence, uh, complete assurance in order to indicate that the believer has knowledge. Okay, so this word, play, 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 yeah, I looked this up. 
uh, so it means pretty much that. Um, confidence, complete confidence. Isn't that another way of saying 100% certainty? Uh, probably depends on the definitions, but I would Okay, but is there, is there any room for doubt if you have complete confidence? Mm, I don't know. Because isn't, isn't doubt in so often that I don't know. But isn't doubt an expression of confidence, how much confidence you have? Um, I would agree with you in the regular world, but when you're talking Christianese, they change words so much that okay. I'm unsure. But this is pleroforia. <laughs> All right. This is this is complete confidence. So tell me again where there is room for something less than complete confidence. As a result of the Spirit's work. For example, he uses this um, word in Colossians 2, 2 and in 1 Thessalonians 1, 5 to indicate the confident assurance that one has by the witness of the Holy Spirit that one is a child of God. Now, in popular Christian piety, this is usually called the assurance of salvation. So I did some uh, research on the ins uh, assurance of salvation, and though I wasn't able to come up uh, with exact numbers, it seems to be a very high percentage of Christians who do not have the assurance of salvation. And one, of the, one of the ways you can know that is by the number of sermons there are are on the assurance of salvation, the number of anecdotes Christians give about, you know, people, uh, preachers give about people coming to them uh, being unsure of their, their salvation, uh, about the amount of advice that's given uh, by pastors uh, on how to reassure people of their salvation. So it is clear to me that Christians don't have this assurance of salvation and yet this is one of the signs that you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Well, the Bible does say that uh, most Christians aren't going to go to heaven because um, they didn't actually believe, right? So, well, okay. So once again, assurance of salvation doesn't leave room for doubt. You can't doubt your salvation and also be assured of your salvation. These are right, which is what right, and I was agreeing with that. So if they, right. so if they have the doubts, then they don't have then they don't have the assurance, which means they don't have the Holy Spirit, which means they're not going to heaven, right? Right. It, it seems to suggest that you cannot, if you are not sure of your salvation, you probably don't have it because what you don't have is the internal witness, which does in fact assure you of your salvation in an unmistakable way. Um, people will ask you, do you have assurance of your salvation? Do you know that you're saved, uh, that you're going to heaven if you die? And obviously, the assurance of salvation, if you have it, entails certain truths, such as that God forgives my sin. Christ has reconciled me to God. Uh, I am a child of God, and so forth. So that by having the assurance of salvation, one has assurance of these truths. Now, not only the Apostle Paul, but also the Apostle John makes it quite clear that it is the Holy Spirit living within us that gives believers conviction of the fundamental truth of Christianity. 
Look at 1 John chapter 2, verses 20 and 27. 1 John chapter 2, verses 20 and 27. There John says, but you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all know. And then in verse 27, but the anointing which you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. Okay. So, uh, <clears throat> Dr. Craig, we, we talked about this. You know, you don't, you don't need arguments. Here, you don't even need teaching. You know why you don't need teaching? Because you, you, you dwelt, buddy. <laughs> you got the spirit in you. And uh, the word that's, that sticks out to me in this passage is abides. Is, is a continual living. So he, it's not that he came in and did a thing and left. The thing that he did initially is a thing he's still doing. And so if he is doing it, then there is no room for doubt. You can't possibly have doubt if the Holy Spirit is constantly assuring you that God is, uh, exists in Christianity is true. Yeah, this is actually sort of an interesting idea because it's also a testable claim. Because, you know, when we look at the world and how religion spread, it's not like religions just sort of pop up randomly from people who know it full strength all of a sudden. It's always spreads from a central point with people teaching other people uh, what the scripture says. And then after they've been taught it, then they say, oh, I've been an indwelt with the Holy Spirit. So it just seems like to point to use this teachings to prove your religion wrong. So Craig is going to address this in part. Uh, let's see if we can get to that. As his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. Here John says that it is the uh, Holy Spirit that teaches the believer the truth of divine things. And in saying this, John is clearly echoing the teachings of Jesus himself as John records them in the Gospel of John. For example, chapter 14 and verse 26. John 14, 26, Jesus says, But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Okay, this is, you know, just just fantasyville. One second, Andrew. I uh, I see that you're there. You've uh, come in and out uh, a little bit. Probably working on your connection. Uh, did you want to Did you want to stick around, or you would just want to remain in the uh, cheap seats? Well, I'll hang around as much as I can. We'll have to see whether what I've done to the connection actually makes any difference. It did. Uh, the The lag is gone. It's it, it went from about 15 seconds to 
0.2 seconds, which is very acceptable. Yeah, I can't guarantee that it'll stay this way, but I'll hang around as much as I can. All right. Well, look, just keep your tongue attached to the hot wire. That's that's working. Uh, <laughs> I am so sorry. I am I'm not even sure what that meant. Okay. <laughs> just look, don't, don't do not examine this further. <laughs> now, the truth that the Holy Spirit teaches us is not, I am convinced, the fine points of Christian doctrine. Uh, there are too many spirit-filled Christian uh, people who disagree doctrinally in order for that to be the case. Okay, I'm just going to stop and right there for a moment and say that this is also bad teaching. This is dishonest exegesis, and any Bible student or philosophy student should take Craig to task on this. What Craig has said is that obviously the Bible couldn't mean that thing because there's too much falsification, if that's what it means. But that is not how you study a document. That is not how you consider a teaching. You don't start by eliminating what it couldn't possibly mean. You have to figure out what the teacher is saying and then decide whether that holds up to reality or not. And what Craig has said is, yes, this thing that the Bible seems to be saying, that would be crazy if it actually meant that, so it couldn't possibly mean that. And, and so in doing so, he is interpreting and exegeting the Bible in a way where it can't be wrong. He's just taking all the wrong things and saying, well, this would disprove it, this would disprove it, this would disprove it, so it can't be any of that. It's got to be right. this other thing that doesn't disprove it. That is illegitimate. That is an illegitimate way to study. I call you out on that, Craig, and, and I call any of Craig's students and acolytes out on that. Stand up and join me at at least saying that's wrong. You can't do that. There's a dishonest way to look at the Bible. Well, but this is how Craig does all his work. This is why Craig's not really taken Obviously, seriously outside of theologians. I, it's more obvious that this is his methodology here, but it still permeates all his work. The same methodology. Andrew, I, uh, I know that you were trying to get in there. Well, so I didn't hear everything he said just now, but is it possible that he's just trying I, I lost you. Uh, it looks like your signal is down again. Um, so I'll, uh, I'll try to get you back in um, in a little bit. Keep, uh, keep trying. Rather, I think what John is talking about here is that inner assurance that the Holy Spirit gives of the basic truth of the Christian faith. What Alvin Plantinga uh, calls the great things of the gospel. The right. So in other words, it's not talking about all of this other doctrinal stuff that Christians argue about. So clearly the, the Spirit isn't instructing you on that stuff. Otherwise, we wouldn't be arguing about it. So he's got to be instructing us on the stuff that we don't argue about. 
But I contend that there are no, quote unquote, great things of the gospel that Christians don't argue about. There are always those things. But I would further ask, why? Why have this distinction between the things that the Spirit does confirm and the things that he doesn't confirm? I mean, the passage says that he instructs you in all truth, okay? So you're, you, Dr. Craig, are the one who's kind of artificially making that distinction because you know it's bullshit. But I would, I would just ask, why not uh, instruct you in the little things? Why make us try to figure out the difference between the big things and the little things? Okay, these big things, these are things that the Spirit is ta- uh, instructing us on. These, this must be a little thing that he's not instructing. That's impossible, that's, that's untenable. The Spirit, it would be just as easy for the Spirit to teach us about things like whether homosexuality is right or wrong as it is to teach us whether substitutionary atonement is right or wrong. So why would the Spirit teach some things and not other things since it would be just as easy to teach at all? Great truths of the gospel. And this assurance doesn't come from human arguments, but comes directly from God himself. It doesn't come from human arguments except for what Darren has already pointed out. No one seems to come to even these great truths of the gospel without some human making arguments for it. I don't understand how people aren't seeing this. Now, someone might disagree with this by pointing to 1 John chapter 4, 1 to 3. Uh, 1 John 4, 1 to 3 uh, might be thought to indicate that the testimony of the Holy Spirit is not self-authenticating, but that you need to test it. In 1 John 4, 1 to 3, John says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are of God. Okay, does that mean that the Spirit of God is doubtable? Does it? Does it? Sounds like For it. many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this, you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit which confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God, and every spirit which does not confess Jesus is not of God. The Mormons confess that Jesus Christ came in the flesh. Do they have the Spirit of God or not? This is the Spirit of Antichrist, of which you have heard that it was coming, and now it is in the world already. But I think to interpret this passage as saying that we ought to test or doubt the inner witness of the Holy Spirit is a, a misinterpretation of the passage. Right. This is, this is Craig's worst nightmare. Because Craig doesn't believe that the holy internal witness of the Holy Spirit can be doubted. He doesn't believe that at all. And so this is the passage that he has been most hit with uh, by Christians uh, to say, yeah, but Craig, if that's not the case, then why would we need to test the spirits? And Craig is like, oh, no, that passage can't possibly mean that. Uh, and so this is this is where we are. John is not talking to people here about testing the inner witness of the Holy Spirit. Be clear, folks. This is what William Lane Craig believes. He does not believe that you should ever test the inner witness of the Holy Spirit to see if it's legitimate. It is 
legitimate. And that Which its legitimacy is not subject to your testing. And what's funny is that Paul says, test the spirit. That's what he says in there, verbatim. And now Craig's saying, no, he didn't actually mean that. Well, but, but, but Craig is going to straighten you out, my friend. Which they I enjoy. That. Rather, he's talking about testing people who come to you claiming to be speaking by the Holy Spirit. Uh, and, and therefore, he points out there are many false prophets that are gone out into the world. And therefore, you've got to be careful. You've got to test the spirits. He referred to these same people earlier in 1 John 2, uh, 18 to 19. 1 John 2, 18 to 19. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that... Okay, we'll, we'll get back to this passage, but I, I may have talked over it a little bit, but I just want to make it clear. What William Lane Craig uh, just said is you don't test the spirit that's in you. You test the spirits that are in other people. That's the distinction that he's making. So the internal witness of the Holy Spirit is not something subject to your testing. He is not saying that you should ever test or doubt the internal witness of the Holy Spirit ever. However, the spirits you're supposed to test are the spirits of all those other people claiming to be Christians. Those people you should test. However, <laughs> so this is where his logic uh, is the snake that eats its tail. Uh, it's, it's simply this, because he's trying to give Christians the reassurance that you don't need to raise the bar or have any bar at all when it comes to your own conviction that, that God is real. You've got the internal witness of the Holy Spirit. It's unquestionable. Other people, you remember we asked this earlier. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, well, I was just going to say, what strikes me that, that should strike anybody is the moment someone tells you, oh, you don't need to test this thing in any other category. It, it wouldn't matter if we were talking about uh, cars or ice cream or, uh, you know, the, the city water supply. It wouldn't matter. If someone said, oh, I don't need to test that, don't worry about it, I promise you it's fine. It raises a red flag. Why doesn't it here? Why does why does religion get some sort of preferential treatment where Craig, because he's uh, you know because he's a scholar, why would you just say, look, William Lane Craig said uh, or or Paul said, I, I don't I don't care, I don't care. Why wouldn't we be on our guard? The said, you don't need to test that thing. Or you shouldn't test that thing. Or it would be wrong to test. Actually. Right. Well, bear in mind, you don't test your spirit. You test everyone else's spirit. But this is this is this is still problematic. This is not doing the work that Craig thinks is doing. By the way, I, I fully agree that anytime someone says don't test, I don't care, you know, what it is, this should be problematic. Um but you see, if you have the right to test someone else's spirit, then they have to give an account to you about why their spirit is legitimate, why their sense of the internal witness of the Holy Spirit is genuine. You can hold them accountable for that because you get to test the other spirits. 
but they also get to hold you accountable for it. So you're uh, you're you've just moved to a city. Uh, you're going to a new church. You don't have a letter of recommendation. Uh, you claim to be a, a a preacher. You've spent many years studying the word. Um, any number of things. They don't know you from Adam. They get to test your spirit. And here's what you don't get to say. You don't get to say, oh, but I've got the internal witness of the Holy Spirit and I don't need to test that because they get to test your spirit. And so you still have to come up with justifications, some proofs, some evidence that the spirit within you is genuine. This does not get you out of the job of validating the spirit you claim to be within you. And, and so that's why I say this, this argument is like a snake eating its own tail. At some point, it's going to come around to a place where you've got to test the spirit or at least validate the spirit that is within you. And that's going to be really hard to do if you've taken Craig's advice and never questioned the spirit that's within you. You have no idea then how to validate that spirit to someone else. Antichrist is coming, so now many antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might be plain that they all are not of us. Okay, and this is just an aside that has nothing to do with anything. Did you know that there were multiple antichrists? There are many antichrists. Seems like, you know, Whoever the fool that uh, wrote First John, he, he saw antichrists around every corner. Um, Christians get really, really loose uh, with their language and accusing people of being servants of uh, the, the, the devil or agents of evil or antichrists. This is a time-honored tradition, not even started by the fool that wrote uh, First John. Isn't there no... Go ahead. Right. Isn't there another problem here, though? Well, it seems to me that there's another glaring problem with, with Craig's interpretation. This is the sort of thing that every denomination says about any other denomination except itself. Well, they're the ones that went out from us. They're the bad guys. They're the ones that, that are in the wrong. We're the ones that are the eternal keepers of the flame. It, it's us and not those guys over there. They went out from us. My question is this. How do you tell? I, I, don't, I don't want uh, some sort of fake test. If William Lane Craig had the answer here for how to tell the, the one true denomination, that would be the thing that he was offering up here. Not, oh, well, those, those guys over there, they went out from us and, and now you can't trust them. That's the sort of reason that every denomination uses. We need something better. Yeah. And obviously there's something almost comical about uh, all Christians saying we test every uh, one spirit, but not our own. Because they're all in that position where none of them get to test their own spirit because that would be heretical. <laughs> but they test everyone else's. It's a... It's a very interesting uh, place to be, logically. So, John is not encouraging a believer to doubt 
the witness of the Holy Spirit. I just want to say that again. The thing that you missed uh, earlier, uh, Andrew, is a conversation about whether uh, the inner witness of the Holy Spirit was doubtable. And um, I, you know, I had some conversation with uh, Marvin Laborde about this, and, and I wanted to make it clear: William Lane Craig does not believe that the inner witness of the Holy Spirit can be doubted. And here he just he just says it. Um, outright for uh, anyone who cares to hear it in context. Uh, you can read the transcripts. Uh, Paul, uh, John is not saying that you get to doubt the inner witness of the Holy Spirit. It's not what he is suggesting at all. In his own heart. Rather, he says, if somebody comes to you claiming to be speaking by the Holy Spirit, then since that situation is external to yourself and it involves additional truth claims, that are not immediately apprehended by you, you've got to test that person to make sure that his claim is true. Be right. You, you test everybody else who claims to be a Christian. <laughs> All right. Let's start uh, testing uh, Craig there. I, how? He doesn't... How? What is the test me mechanism? <laughs> uh, whether they say that uh, Jesus is God or not, I think, that's what he said. Okay, but they all say that whether Jesus came in the flesh. They all, they all say that. So <laughs> I guess we all pass. Because <laughs> uh, there are many deceivers and false prophets claiming to speak by the Spirit. But in our own lives, as we've already seen, John says you've been anointed by the Holy Spirit. You don't have any need for anyone to teach you because the witness of the Spirit is sufficient to assure us of those truths to which he testifies. Now, John also underlines other teachings of Jesus about the work of the Holy Spirit found in the Gospel of John. For example, in John 14, verses 16 and 17, and verse 20, Jesus says it is the indwelling Holy Spirit who will give the believer the certainty of knowing that Jesus lives in him and that he is in Jesus in the sense of being united with Jesus. Okay, so the Holy Spirit gives them certainty, right? Kinky. Uh, certainty. Um, again, I'm, I'm missing the room for doubt. John here. chapter 14, verses 16 and 17, and then verse 20. Jesus says, And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. Andrew, quick before your uh, connection uh, breaks down, um, what does seminary, seminary, what does seminary tell you about the spirit being in you? Uh, is he spatially extended in you? Is, uh, is what is what does that even mean? Is there a biological component? Uh, what what does that mean? Do you need gasoline? Interesting discussion. Now, you know the, the two positions from the Church of Christ, and I honestly don't have any idea. 
what the Baptist seminaries had to say about this. Um, but the Church, of Christ, the Church of Christ held uh, two distinct positions. One was that the Holy Spirit is a seal. Uh, that's, by the way, incredibly indistinct, even, uh, even in theology classes. But when you become a Christian, when you hear, believe, repent, confess, be baptized, and, and, and attempt to lead some sort of faithful life, there's, there's a, a, a mark, Holy Spirit, that, uh, that is somehow uh, imprinted on you, right? And, and that follows you around. And uh, this is this is uh, just a, sort of a mark of God, right? Um, the other view, uh, by the way, it it doesn't have any miraculous ability beyond just marking you, Christian, right? It, it's not as if this seal of the Holy Spirit can do anything else for you. It doesn't uh, it doesn't protect you for COVID nineteen or something like that. It's just uh, it's just the uh, fingerprint of the Spirit. The other view is uh, that the Holy Spirit dwells in you only in so much as you read and understand the Bible. And so, in that way, too, the Holy Spirit uh, for the member of the Church of Christ. Uh, why? Because when you're reading the Bible, it's as if everyone in the Church of Christ agrees uh, about what the Bible says. In fact, they're even <laughs> the mark of the Holy Spirit. Um, so it is not to me, uh, even even after five years of this, exactly indwelling of the Holy Spirit meant, although I know that other denominations mean something very different. For instance, think that once you are saved, you are uh, you are permanently saved somehow. Um, well, I mean, some take the well, idea of being a temple of God literally. Uh, say that again. I'm sorry, you broke up. Yeah, some bit. people, some people take the being a temple of God literally—that your body is a temple of God. This is a biblical statement. Um, and so as the temple of God, just as the spirit of God dwelled in the Holy of Holies uh, back in Moses day, now you are the temple and he literally some piece of him is literally inside of you um, that it that it is spatially located inside of your body. Sure, and that was a position um, held by some uh, by some preachers in the Church of Christ. But it's clear that that did anything for you. So, so as a friend, um, if your body was a temple, there was there were things you wouldn't do, right? You use drugs, you wouldn't drink uh, alcohol, you wouldn't dance and talk, all those sorts of things, right? But Holy Spirit didn't do anything for you. It's not as if you got something direct out of the contract. There are all sorts of things you weren't supposed to do to the temple. But what exactly did you get in recitation never been made clear by anyone as far as I can tell? Um, 
Agreed. And John echoes this same teaching in 1 John. 1 John 3, verse 24, and then verse uh, 13 of chapter 4. 1 John 3, 24, and 4, 13. John says, All who keep his commandments abide in him, and he in them. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the spirit which he has given us. And then verse 13, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his own spirit. So John uses his characteristic phrase, by this we know, by this we know to emphasize that as Christians we have a confident knowledge that our faith is true, that we really do abide in God and that God really does abide in us. In fact, John goes so far as to contrast the confidence which the witness of the Spirit gives to the evidence of human testimony. 1 John chapter 5, verses 6 to 10. 1 John 5, 6 to 10. John writes, This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not with the water only, but with the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the witness, because the Spirit is the truth. There are three witnesses, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater, for this is the testimony of God, that he has borne witness to his Son. He who believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. He who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God has borne to his son. Now in this passage, the water probably refers to Jesus' baptism and the blood to the cross, the crucifixion. These are the no, bookends of Jesus' earthly ministry. They mark the beginning and the end of his ministry. And so when John speaks of the testimony of men in verse 9, when he says, if we receive the testimony of men, he is talking about nothing less than the apostolic testimony to the events of the life and ministry of Jesus of Nazareth. In his gospel, for example, in the gospel of John 21, 24, he emphasizes the importance of the apostolic testimony to these events. He says, these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Okay, but I'm not sure what the testimony of men has to do with anything, since it's all trumped by the testimony of the Spirit anyway. Well, yeah, but that's what Craig is adding to the story. It's not necessarily what the Well, all of this is Craig adding to the story. This is, uh, you know, he started this thing off by saying, you know, this thing is probably you know, such and such. I do not know what shrooms the writer was on when he wrote this. And I, I'm not going to pretend to be able to exegete uh, that passage, never have been. But, I mean, you can come up with any fantasy interpretation you want. At the end of the day, though, Greg already has offered the trump card. So even for people who have not heard the testimony of men talking about Jesus— the Holy Spirit should still be
be able to provide that testimony because he provides uh, the truth of all of the great things of the gospel. So I don't I don't know what the testimony of men would have to do with any of this anyway. Why, why, why do we even need it? Why would Craig say it's important? Because it doesn't seem to be important at all. And uh, believing have life through his name. And yet here he says that even though we quite rightly receive the testimony of men, the apostolic testimony to the historical Jesus, nevertheless, the inner testimony of the Spirit is even greater. Right. It is even greater than the apostolic testimony. So as Christians, we have the, Bible, the testimony, testimony of God. Of Go ahead, say it again. Maybe he need, means Bible when he says uh, testimony of men. I have no idea. I, I simply have... <laughs> living within us the indwelling holy spirit who bears by the way this is what preachers do um they you know preach you know a passage and they pretend to know what it means they, they pretend that they've got some kind of magical interpretation um of what it means and they and they say it as you know with as much confidence as they can uh, and so people think that they know what they're talking about. Craig doesn't know what this passage means any more than I do. The problem here that I have with with Craig and uh, the spirit, the blood, and the water is you can boil this argument down to uh, Jesus wouldn't have been baptized. He wouldn't have been crucified if the whole story weren't true. And I, I think we know that, that people are convinced of wrong things and die for things that they probably shouldn't die for all the time. And, and so for me, this, this whole idea that the, the water and the blood and the spirit agree that the testimony of Jesus uh, can be trusted, well, that, that's where we start. Now, okay, fine. Let's say there was a Jesus. He was crucified. And before he was crucified, uh, uh, he lived life as an itinerant preacher. What he was thinking. I was in a place where I don't care. There's witness to our spirit that we are children of God. So, although evidence and arguments uh, might be used to support the believers he's almost done here faith or to confirm the believers faith they are not properly the basis of that faith for the believer god is not just the conclusion of a syllogism he is the living god of abraham isaac and jacob living within us so how does the believer know that christianity is true fundamentally he knows because of the self-authenticating witness of God's Holy Spirit living within him. Is there any comment or question on the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer? Uh, yes. Okay, I'm, I'm actually going to stop it right there because I think this is a stupid question uh, that's coming up. Uh, you can look at the transcript. Um, this is pretty much where um, you know, the argument, argumentation Ends. And so for Craig, the inner witness of the Holy Spirit 
is uh, unmistakable evidence of God. It trumps everything, including counter arguments or even counter evidence. Um, it is the end all be all and people like Kyle uh, need to deal with their secret sin because otherwise they wouldn't be giving in to demonic doubts. And um, people like Kyle shouldn't be worried about raising the bar to prove to themselves that all of this is true. Because if you were really a child of God, you wouldn't need proof that it's true. The internal witness of the Holy Spirit tells you it's true. So you don't raise the bar. You don't even lower the bar. There is no bar. So, um, Darren, you have uh, been with me through this uh, entire journey. Um, what, do you, what do you want to say to close, uh, close this out? Close out your comments here. Um, I just, I don't know, it's sort of hard to take this kind of argumentation seriously. For one, I mean, Craig never shows us any reason why we should believe anything he's saying. I mean, that's trivially true, and I'm not sure how the, anyone gets over that. But he also has a, even within his own mythology, he has a problem with this argumentation. Because God doesn't just send the Holy Spirit. He also sends uh, spirits of deception and um, delusion. Specifically, so people won't believe the right things. And given the census divinitatis, if he sent a, you know, a truth spirit or a deceiving spirit, the uh, Craig would be uh, as confident on either one as, uh, you know, as as he's claiming he's being about the Holy Spirit. So if God decided to send a spirit of deception, Craig would be just as confident that he has this 100% truth, no doubts, that uh, the deception was actually true. So even within his own mythology, he's got the, the argument that he can have no doubts is, um, that it's even logically possible to have no doubts is completely blown away because he has no clue whether God's going to send him a truth uh, spirit or a deception spirit. Um, and that's sort of the main problem with it is because the feelings you feel when you're wrong, you still feel like you're correct, even when you're wrong. And it doesn't matter how strong you feel that you're correct. You're either correct or you're wrong. <laughs> you know, your feelings have absolutely no bearing because you feel just as strongly about being correct when you're wrong as you do when, you, uh, when you're right. Um, and then he also, I think the last thing I'll mention is that he has a, a category error because um, you've got the territory, which is reality, and then you've got the map, and that's what you believe about reality. And he's talking about the map that he's created but he has given us no reason to think that his map actually corresponds to reality. I mean, the, you can go through the transcript and it's all, I believe, I believe, 
you know, I can't be wrong about what I believe. And that's just all, you know, map talk. It's all, you know, this is what I can, this is what I think reality looks like. At no time at all does uh, the map ever come close to matching the territory. So, I think that's, you, uh, that's what I have. So, um, Andrew, you did not hear the entire uh, lecture, but uh, you're not terribly new to the idea of the internal witness of the Holy Spirit and Dr. Craig. Thoughts? Uh, I've got, I've, I've only got one, uh, so I'll make it quick because uh, I have been in and out with a terrible connection issues and I have it all. <clears throat> but it strikes me that when William Lane Craig lowers the bar uh, and, and he says, uh, basically, you can depend on that uh, feeling in your stomach, the, the sort of idea of faith. There's this internal witness this this sort of knowledge that you have and uh and don't worry you can't be wrong about it that that is the kind of thing uh that Polly said to me on still unbelievable a couple of weeks ago it is the kind of thing that that my friends in islam have said i've heard jews say similar things Mormons, a number of mormons who very much the same. But I think this is the big problem. We're not going to get rid of just force until somebody in the religious community decides to up the ante. And they say, no, this is sort It's actually good enough. And, and then, maybe maybe there's some truth out there, right? But but somebody's got to raise the bar. Somebody's got to raise the bar and demonstrate how their religion is superior beyond that feeling. Until somebody does. I'm an atheist that did raise the bar for myself. I realized that gut feelings aren't good enough. And you won't meet back in religion until one of them raises the ball. That's where I am. Thank you. So I think I'm going to save most of my uh, closing comment for a write-up, and I'll I'll just do it there. But I I will echo what um, the both of you have said, and what I what I think is you know the truly disturbing part of Dr. Craig's. Uh, message is that there is something about your spiritual belief, whatever spiritual is, something about your belief system that you can't possibly be wrong about. And, and I've got to tell you, I um, I find that to be scary when you're talking to, you know, in some cases, religious zealots, uh, and you. Feed them with the confidence that this thing that you feel inside you, you can't possibly be wrong about it. And as a human, uh, you know, with every important decision that I've made in my life, you know, whether it's marriage or a financial decision or a job or which ice cream to choose from the 31 flavors, um, 
there's always a possibility out there to be wrong. And while some decisions aren't as consequential as others, so it doesn't really matter <clears throat> whether whether you're wrong about it, um, it's, it's good to leave open that possibility. For, for Dr. Craig, though, when it comes to the internal witness of the Holy Spirit, there are two things that, are, that really kind of close the door on com- conversation and exploration. A, you can't be wrong about it. And B, you don't even get a chance to test the Spirit, to investigate further. Once you have an idea in your mind that you have the internal witness of the Holy Spirit, you can't question it. You can't doubt it. You must proceed with faith for the rest of your Christian life. Otherwise, you take the risk of having quenched the Spirit and, and you know, you, by your place in hell. Christian, take a good look at yourself in the mirror. Are you really the kind of person who can't be wrong about something? Because <laughs> I'm looking at my cell phone uh, camera right now. Uh, I see the person looking back at me. Uh, I can be wrong about some stuff. I think that everyone on the panel here thinks that they could be wrong about some stuff. Uh, you know, there are some things that I believe that I should go back and re-examine. I should go back and question. I'll probably come up with the same uh, ideas, but I'm, I'm going to question them periodically. But Dr. Craig says you can't be wrong about this, and there's something wrong with you if you decide to question it. I think if you take on that worldview, you've, you've put yourself in a very dangerous place, and you have placed yourself outside of the area of rational discourse. I can't talk to you anymore. You can't talk to me anymore because you can't be wrong about it. So I don't know what there is left. You can test my spirit all day, but you can't test yours. Good luck with that. Um, yeah, and the final, final thing that I will say, uh, um, again, I'm actually saving most of this for the write-up, um, Christians are so concerned about this quenching the spirit. And Dr. Craig wants you to be scared to death of quenching the spirit. He wants to imply that if you have simple human doubts, you might be quenching the spirit. This spirit is so freaking fragile. How did this spirit get so fragile? This is the spirit of God. This is the spirit of creation. This is the spirit that holds all things together. He's so fragile that you can just accidentally quench it. And what would it take for you to quench it? Some porn? Is that it? Is that all it takes to make the spirit go running scared? To make the spirit say, oh, okay, that's enough. I'm out of here. What is it going to take? Lying about, uh, lying on your taxes? Is the spirit going to be quenched by that? I, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry for the... The thing I'm about to say, because I don't mean it to be offensive, except I do. What a fucking snowflake this spirit is. <laughs> that, that he can be quenched that easy. Uh, there's a Bible verse that says, 
resist the devil and he will flee from you. If we're supposed to think that the devil is some kind of coward, just think an evil thought and the spirit will flee from you. They're all cowards, these, these supernatural bullies. So you Christians shouldn't be worried about how you might quench the spirit. It is not, it's like parents. It's not your job to raise your parents. It's not your job to protect the spirit. It's the spirit's job to protect you. And if he's not doing that, you got the wrong spirit. Let's talk. All right, that's going to do it uh, for today. And uh, thank you all who participated and all of you who joined me on the journey. There will be an after after show, but for now, bye-bye.